0: Hi there, welcome to Beyond the Comfort Zone podcast. My name is Israe Hag from Fisheries Fitness and Nutrition. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts about the various topics taught in fitness education to better understand the research, challenge some beliefs and biases, and provide helpful information to all the other health and fitness professionals out there who may have questions just like mine. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Now, Please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. See you soon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Beyond the Comfort Zone podcast. I'm really excited to have started the uh, podcast. I'm really excited for us to find the best way to help those we serve and i'm even more excited to introduce to you my first ever guest anthony lo hey anthony
1: hey you how are you
0: i'm oh, all right how are you doing
1: uh, i'm doing pretty good pretty good i'm excited yeah. to uh, to see this project take off
0: uh, i'm you know what i hope it goes well <laughs> right so i'm sure i'm sure everybody who's l- listening to this right now knows who you are but why don't you introduce yourself for those who may not have come across your
1: work? Um, thank you. I am a physiotherapist. I'm based in Sydney, Australia, and I work at the junction of musculoskeletal or ortho, um, sports, and women's health. So I work with all three of those populations predominantly. But I combine all of them together. So I go from the very lowest of the low in terms of ability up to elite athletes, Olympians, Commonwealth Games athletes, CrossFit Games athletes, uh, world champions uh, in their sport and everyone in between. And I have a particular interest in combining sports performance um, ideas, coaching ideas, as well as rehab ideas and and including uh, highlighting the awareness of pelvic floor issues and women's health issues um, in all of that. So uh, it's just my little niche.
0: That is amazing. That is a, a wealth of knowledge right there. Now, when you started this this journey I'm not sure how long ago is that is is that what you intended to do to get into pelvic health or did just that happen along the way
1: I, I think like with most people they they end up where they love being and so I've always grown up around sport um and so I've trained and I've coached sport even before I went to university I was coaching a bit of tennis and um And I just naturally was coaching different sports, uh, no matter what. I also uh, participated in lots and lots of sports. And I um, obviously, as a new physio, you try to get as much experience as possible. So all of that kind of melded together. But in my first year uh, working as a physio, I had to take care of the antenatal and postnatal ward um, in two different hospitals. And that just really opened my eyes to the world of women's health. I obviously being 21, 22, I had no idea what was going on. And, um, you know, it was relatively easy to learn. Um, there was a lot to learn of course. And I just ended up teaching the antenatal exercise classes. And there's a few different things, the preparation for birth type classes. And so, um, I thought, okay, I really enjoy this. And and I found that I was able to help people um, where other people were struggling to help. And I just remember getting called down to the antenatal clinic one day and and the midwife was like, i got somebody on the bed. I can't get her off the bed. She's in a lot of pain. I need you to come down and have a look. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And so I go down there and I asked her to try to get up. She tried to get up and she screamed in pain and was like, oh, okay. And uh, I didn't know what to do. Like, I honestly didn't know what to do, but I knew enough not to do anything to hurt the baby, not to do anything to hurt the person, uh, the the lady lying on the table. So I just did some very, very gentle, we call them grade one to two pivums, which means that we just rocked her (laughs) very gently. And I just spoke to her and talked to her about what was going on. And it wasn't even super deep. It would not look like anything I do today. Yeah. I just wanted to distract her for a little while while I just went, oh, crap, what's going on here? I don't know what to do. Yeah. And um, after about a minute or two, because that's what I was taught to do, <clears throat> I just asked her to try again. And she popped up with no pain. She said, oh thank you. And she ran out the door because she was late to pick her kids up from childcare. And even back then, over 20 years ago, they would charge you if you were late. And so she was running out the door. And then um, the midwife, she was like pushing me out the door because it was like, all right, that's it. I got to go. Like I'm running late. I've got more people to see. And I was left standing there in the corridor thinking, I just really helped that lady and I have no idea why because I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything, you know, as per my training, it just shouldn't have worked that well. And so that started me off on being really interested in helping the antenatal population and antenatal pain. Um, and then the postnatal population and postnatal pain, and that naturally evolved into having to learn about stress urinary incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse and it just kept rolling on from there
0: yeah i mean that's amazing it's just hearing your journey and and where you started to what you're doing now which is the next point that we are going to get into and the main reason for this podcast right um so the whole the whole reason we, i am starting this, you know—with your advice is to try and challenge what is being taught out there to health and fitness professionals. Be it personal trainers, be it a, a physios, be it anybody who is helping another person. Now, from our previous conversations and interactions, you—you've mentioned that how you work now is really different to how you you worked, say, five years ago, 10 years ago. What I'm interested in sort of talking about is what made that shift for you? What made you change your ways? What did you experience then that told you, you know what, this may not be working the way I was taught?
1: Yeah. It's a it's a great question, and right before I launch into that, because you mentioned it, yeah, I love how you ask and you challenge, and you have this insane amount of curiosity, which I absolutely adore in you because I have the same curiosity. So I see a lot of your questions as being exactly the same types of questions that I have. This does know and and know and be right. and that's why I said you need to do a podcast on this because one of the best ways is to just challenge what's going on out there um, because it just never made sense to me. And that's why I said, you know, do this podcast, sir, because that's people need to hear your voice and your questions. And that's exactly how I started. I was starting by doing these things and, and I was seeking all these different ways. And I was trying to find the best way. And, um, one day I got into, it was after Christmas. So I had a bit of time. It was before new year and I got into a bit of a Twitter discussion with Greg Lehman. And, um, you know, it, it, it was funny because we went back and forth because I, I'd helped somebody who had pain for, like to the point that she was going to go get knee surgery for her knee pain. So we're talking, uh, at least a few months and she couldn't squat and she's a CrossFit coach and CrossFit athlete. She couldn't squat. She couldn't do a quarter squat without pain. And I was able to show her how to do some, you know, thoracic ring corrections on herself. And she was able to squat all the way down after grass and, um, And then teach her how to do that without using her fingers. And she was able, and I I caught up with her two weeks later, and she was able to do that. And we got into a discussion about the video that I shared because I shared it on social media. And he started challenging me on the reasons why it was working. And I just remember being really upset about, you know, who does this guy think he is, you know, telling me all these things that I was doing wasn't working, blah, blah, blah. And it's on Twitter. You can go look it up, Greg Lehman and, and you know, physio detective. Um, and what happened? And, and then it went off there into many different places. So you won't get the full conversation on Twitter. But um, what ended up happening was this back and forth occurred over three days. And um, it got to the point where I said, what are you saying that I haven't helped the thousands of people that I have you're saying I haven't helped the thousands of people. And he goes, no, no, I'm sure that you're good at what you do. I'm, I'm talking about the reasons why it's working. And it hit me then that I had placed my identity in the reasons why I was helping people. And so when I look back at that conversation, I was getting upset about the fact that it felt like he was attacking me But really, what was happening was that he was attacking the reasons why I thought, and I placed my identity there. That's why it felt personal. But when you look back, he never called me a name. He never said that I was useless. He never said that I hadn't helped people. He never said that, you know, how can you call yourself a physio? He was always talking about the ideas around it, but I'd taken it personally. And so I'd put my fighting goggles on and saw everything as a personal attack against me. And that's when I realized that I had to change and I had to investigate that. But not only that, I had to change how I saw questioning of ideas. And it takes years, Yusra. I tell people it took me three years it's three years to get over the main part of it, right? To the point at the end of the masterclass where you can start learning how to do things differently. Like, I mean, it's an ongoing process. And I just finished teaching um, the female athlete course online of which you're a wonderful teaching assistant.
0: It was amazing. It was
1: absolutely amazing. And and one of the participants on it, um, Melissa, she said that she'd taken the course three and a half years ago Mm. and it was really to see how I was evolving because she could see the changes from three and a half years ago to now yeah. and the fact that I have changed and I have evolved and I have pushed and when I when I taught that course three and a half years ago I'd already been through all these changes you know um, it had been three years since I I'd had that argument over three years since i had that argument with greg lehman who by the way is fantastic to follow um
0: i'm following him yeah his his work is amazing it, he reminds me a lot about how you teach as well you know, Yeah, about the whole person who's in front of you
1: yeah i am I'm, I'm probably influenced by that i was already in indiv- uh focused on the individual yeah. and that through a lot of diane lee's work and and lj lee's work and some of the other people that i studied under Peter O'Sullivan, you know, um, all of these people, uh, were really great at focusing on the person as well. Uh, but yeah, once I realized that I was, I felt personally attacked, yeah. but I wasn't because I was reading into the conversation from Greg. And then that's when I realized, Oh, okay. And that's when I realized I had to change the way that I asked and taught because people did get upset when I challenged them
0: <laughs>
1: and so I probably did get personal.
0: <laughs> so it's, it, I, I suppose it, 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 it can be hard to try and dissociate what we do and the people that we are as individuals, right? So I'm still learning that from the masterclass and just sort of, you know, when someone is asking me something, I always try to take a step back and think, right, do do I want to respond or do I want to react so I try not to react and just think about what I'm gonna say next and stuff like that so it's all super interesting alright so I am one of those people as I'm sure you already know Anthony who jumps from one course onto another because I enjoy I enjoy all the knowledge right Which which is awesome but before it was more or less because I I I felt that as a coach, I didn't have the magic answer, right? That thing that will allow me to help everybody who comes across my way. So I was doing courses, searching for that thing. Now, do you think there's anything that is missing in the current fitness education? You know? that is not being taught to trainers that really should be taught. It could be trainers, it could be uh, physios. Uh,
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, uh, you know, the foundations of thinking and challenging your beliefs and assessing knowledge uh, before you go into assessment and management of people, I think that's super important. So the foundations of thinking, um, you know, philosophy basically – logic reasoning understanding that people for centuries and millennia have been thinking about thinking and it's one of the it's one of the things that that really sets us apart from the animals is that we have this capacity to be meta to rise above and think about thinking and by challenging that learning about biases and learning about assumptions and learning about logical fallacies. I think none of that is really taught very well in, in the courses in fitness and, and health education unless it's deliberately about that. Mm. So um, I, I really do think that learning, thinking about your thinking is important. Um, and then being able to assess the research it's very easy to go to Google, find a paper that suits your biases, and then post that as your evidence. But, you know, maybe six people were in the study, and, like, I mean, that's low-quality evidence. Unless are six people only in the world with this particular condition, a rare form of brain cancer, um, I saw a Mark Rober video about this, you know, this kid had, had, was a sixth person in the world who had this rare brain tumor. Okay, fine that's going to be a case series and if that's all the people in the world that's got it that's a lot of evidence right like as much as you can get That's as much as it yeah so unless it's that yeah like evaluate your sources look at the methodology look at the statistics and to do that you have to have at least a university degree because they, don't, they just don't teach it elsewhere it's a university level type of learning Um, And let's face it, you don't need to have a university degree to be an excellent personal trainer. You don't need to have a sports science degree. But you can go learn about research methods and statistics and you can do these things. You may not like it. I hate it. I personally hate it. Um, It's hard. It is hard. I hate it. But, you know, you can learn if you want to or you can ask other people for advice but realize that you're getting their biases. So there's some some great research review networks that you can join where people review it. You can listen to podcasts from the researchers. But again, you have to have those foundations for thinking to really be able to ask the questions to make sure that they're controlling for their biases and their assumptions and to help, you know, ask them if they've controlled for their logical fallacies that they may have fallen into. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good researchers won't get upset if you ask them about these um, these things, but they're also peppered with attacks so much that they too, being human, may see it as an attack. Mm-hmm. And so carefully wording that is super important.
0: Totally. Now, with universities, especially a physio school, I, to my understanding, there are usually two... Models the PSB model, which is the posture structure biomechanics, and the uh, bio psychosocial uh, model. Just run through quickly what the main differences are between the two.
1: Yeah, so the postural structural biomechanical model is uh, your classic posture alignment. You know, bell rung up, bell rung down, you know, anterior pelvic tilt, posterior pelvic tilt, neutral spine, centered hips, centering the shoulders, activating the core, uh, making sure your glutes are working and activating the glutes. It's um, worrying about uh, having the proper technique and, you know, there's this ideal technique that you have to hit, otherwise injury risk goes through the roof. Um, all of these things are part of the postural structural biomechanical model and all of them are not supported well by the science. We know lots of people with poor posture and no pain. Um, we know lots of people who have, uh, you know, asymmetries, for example, and they're world champions, they're Olympians. And you can look, you know, Michael Phelps has a kyphosis. Usain Bolt has a kyphoscoliosis. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a leg length discrepancy and a pelvis that rotates more one way than the other. Like he's got a stride length that's not equal. There's all sorts of stuff that is not quite right with high level athletes and they don't have problems from them. They have problems when people try to fit them into a cookie cutter. There are lots of, like you look at Chinese weightlifters, for example, in the crazy positions that they get their knees into because genetically they can probably tolerate that. Um, And also the Chinese weightlifting system means that all the people who can't tolerate that way, they get left by the wayside um, because it's just hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of athletes to choose from. Whereas, um, you know, you take somebody who has a genetically different structural build, something that they were born with is what I mean by genetically different. um, And you know, certain things become better and certain things become worse. Um, so, you know, trying to cookie cutter everybody, you know, toes forward on the squat. That If we can get kids, if we can get kids to go toes forward in the squat because they play a sport that requires you to go forwards all the time, the, the opposition is always in front of you. I think that we can affect the way that their bones grow and they will adapt to that position because they have growth plates. But trying to take that and apply that to an adult, that's a lot different. Like adults tend not to have growth plates anymore. So we tend to then put it through the joints and, and they can irritate the joints, even to the point of damage. Um, and, and so being able to let go of some of these ideals for other principles, considering the whole person, that's the biopsychosocial model. It's considering all of those things, posture, alignment, um, the coordination of their muscles, all of those things are important, but they're not the be-all and end-all. And that's what the biopsychosocial model seems, or not seems to, it wants to describe so that you can take into account their mental state, as well as what's going on in their social life and who their friends are and how they're affecting things. Because anyone who's um, trained clients before or high-level athletes or even low-level athletes will know that when you get fatigue or when you get somebody who is fatigued, stressed at work, you know, somebody's sick in the family or they haven't had good sleep or they went, uh, I don't know, know, they've just been on holidays and they've been partying you know, for a week, like all of these things uh, are not just a physical change that's occurring in their life. You know, it, it could be that um, someone receives a phone call that their child has broken their arm and, and that will affect their behavior while they're trying to perform. So all of that matters. And, um, And I think it's silly if we don't recognize that. So if you only focus on posture alignment, uh, the structures, the coordination, I think you're leaving a lot on the table. And to be honest, uh, fitness professionals are really, really good at helping people with their stress and what's going on in their life. And lots of people see trainers, not just for the training, for all the other things that they love about having a personal trainer which actually isn't about their knowledge and skill it's often about how much they get on with that person who is able to help motivate them because it is a holistic approach and the same thing goes for the uh, healthcare care providers as well
0: yeah yeah I, I i mean when i look back to f- f- five six months ago right my whole approach to to a coaching, because as a trainers, we are taught, you know, you have to, you, you, you get a client, the first thing you have to do is the overhead squat assessment, make sure their their toes and knees are aligned and all that stuff. And while it worked, it really didn't work for a lot of my clients. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure what is happening here, right? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Now, the one a thing that I've, Noticed is the whole idea of pelvic t- tilting. How uh, anterior pelvic tilting is bad for you. It means you have a weak core, right? Let's let's try and break that belief down a little bit.
1: Uh, Okay. So APT, anterior pelvic tilt. So the first question I always want to ask when people ask me about anterior pelvic tilt is define anterior pelvic tilt. At what point do you enter anterior pelvic tilt? How can you tell without an x-ray what neutral is? How do you know at what point They've got an anterior pelvic tilt. That's the first question. And if you think that it's going to be ASIS and pubic symphysis and them being level is neutral, well, then you're going to be in for a shock because surprise, surprise, humans are built individually and variably, even side to side with how prominent that ASIS is. And then if you tell me that, oh, no, no, the, you know, the X-ray shows that they're, um, they've got an equal pelvis. Okay, fantastic. So, where on this bone that is about an inch or maybe more long, the ASIS, and at least a centimeter, half an inch wide, point to me the one spot at which you're measuring because then it's overlaid by skin and fat and muscle attachments as well. Well, you know. And so, I don't know where anterior pelvic tilt is, number one. Number two, if it's indicative of a weak core, which part of the core is it because they're extended and their rectus is not there and they've got a, um, a thorax that is extended or as some people would say bell rung up and that's indicative of a weak core well maybe or what if their core is strong enough and they're allowing their back muscles to extend them more what if that's the case or what if their their bones in their spine are shaped in a way which means that they just have a lot of natural lordosis in their spine and you're trying to correct something that structurally it may not want to correct you know because correct in inverted commas so there's a lot of things that are wrong with that for me and then people will tell me oh you know but then you get shortened hip flexors and it's like Okay, maybe shortened hip flex is because of APT, but have you actually tested true hip extension? Because we have a definition for that. And then at what point do you call it short? Is it if you can't do 10 degrees of hip extension, then you have shortened, like decreased hip extension? What what if it's the hip? What if it's the hip capsule that's the reason why, and actually not the um, the the the, uh, the hip flexor or or what if it's actually because uh, they've got a, a bony osteophyte at the back of their hip which prevents them from extending their hip and that's something that they were born with or they've got uh, an acetabulum a hip socket that points forwards which means that they've got flexion forever and so faces forwards and up they've got flexion forever and hardly any hip extension and, and you may be trying to to force this hip extension issue. But not only that, that's all structural stuff. You've given somebody a label, which they'll carry around with for the rest of their life if things don't change, like I have tight hip flexors, I have a weak core, which then means that they've got a psychological load that they're carrying around with them all the time because they think they're broken or wrong in some way, and then they see themselves in the mirror and then they're ashamed of the fact that they were fearfully and wonderfully made with a prominent uh, pelvis and, uh, you know, a booty. And somebody tells them that they're wrong because of that and they can't posterior tilt or they can never get their back flat on the floor when they try to do exercises with their legs straight. They always have to bend their knees to try and get their back flat on the floor. And even then, some people can't get their back on the floor. And it's not because they're fat or have a a fat ass that they can't get their back on the floor. It's literally because they're built that way. How is it that we are labeling people and it's okay because we have some sort of certificate or degree that tells us that we're allowed to do this? Like that's breaking it down as far as I'm concerned. Like there's so many things wrong with it. It's not funny.
0: Absolutely. And I know one of the the things that you teach is the 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 power of language, the the power of our words. In your journey, was there any point of a a journey where you thought, okay, I'm actually hurting people with my words, and that's when you decided to start making those changes?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. There was this one particular client that I saw, and um, this is years ago. This is, like, basically almost 20 years ago now, and... um, she came in and she had uh, what appeared to be anterior pelvic tilt. And I was still in the postural structure biomechanical model. And so I told her to correct her posture. Mm. And, uh, you know, she, uh, she did. And the way that I taught her how to do it was I stacked her thorax on top of her pelvis. I've been doing this for decades. Stacked her pelvis on top of her thorax and um, – you know, I taught her how to stand there and then she went away and she was better. Like, I mean, I helped during the two in the two sessions or three sessions that I saw her, but I'd written JLo posture on her file back in the days when you actually used a, a, a handwritten file. And so um, she came back in a few years later and I recognized her face and I I looked at her and I did not recognize her body and she had not put on any weight at all. She was 18 at the time I first saw her and she was 21 now. And she looked the same in her facial features and everything, but her posture was completely different. She had no curves in her back at all. She had a very straight back. And I asked her, you know, I, I had to, confirm her details and her identity and where she lived because I'd written JLo posture and I'd never seen somebody go from having basically a booty like JLo to somebody who had a cliff face and no booty at all um and she hadn't lost weight or anything um and I said to her like I've written and I showed her, I said, I've written JLo posture because we had a laugh about it. And yeah. she said, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone tells me that I've got JLo, you know, and, um, and, and yeah, she had a look and I showed her the file and she said, yeah. So what I've been doing since I last saw you is that when you corrected my posture, it felt like I had tension in the front. And so, I know that I get into the right posture when I feel that tension. So, she just kept chasing the feeling Mm. of correction and she overcorrected, she overcooked it. And that was my fault because my words, labeling her as having a J-low posture, telling her that she had anterior pelvic tilt, teaching her, that, yeah, it's going to feel like this when you're in the right position, just thinking that a teenager would just forget that after a few days or a few hours because teenagers, yeah. um, all of these assumptions that I had, yeah, they they harmed her in, uh, in, a, in an aesthetic way yeah. and carried this with her for three years. So then I had to go through the process of basically apologizing and, and correcting my problems and my mistakes that I had put on top of her. Um, so, yeah, you know, that was a really clear moment. And th- there are countless moments that still happen now where I say something that I think, oh, wow, that did not go the way that I was trying to go for yeah. and unintentionally hurt people uh, with my words. So it's a daily struggle.
0: It's a journey for all of us, right? And and I, th- I think for people who work in the health and fitness industry. As long as we, we try to make those changes, as long as we try to do, to serve the people we serve in the best possible way, then we're doing okay. Uh, Anthony, I could talk to you all day, <laughs> right? I, I have to have you back here again. But one thing I just wanted to, 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 to talk about now, do you think there's a common, a thread that we can uh, take between the the PSB model and the bio-social, uh, by bio- uh, uh, bio- psychosocial, and so that they can meet in the middle and we can bridge the gap and hopefully help people like me, you know, who are trying to help others actually do a better job at helping them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there is. Um, I think. The first thing to do, if you do want to consider moving out of that postural, structural biomechanical model that you were taught in all the fitness education things, I think one of the easiest things to do is just to ask the question: Why? Why do I believe these things? Why do um, Why do other people teach it? And what are some of the things? Try to find evidence that proves that that is wrong. So, so it's very easy to find the things that agree with what we believe, yeah. try to find the things that disagree and then evaluate those sources and challenge that. And if that's too much for you right now, which I, I'm okay with, like, honestly, I just meet people where they're at. Yeah. If you're just on the journey of looking towards being a better fitness professional, being a better uh, healthcare provider, just walking that journey with other people who are in different parts of the journey in different places, like in the nutrition space, for example, you would be further down the track than I. Um, And so I would turn to you for help on some of the nutrition stuff. And then on some of these other things, I might be further down the track in my journey than you. And my job is to help bring you up and support you. So matter where you are on the journey so long as we all face the same direction we can all help each other to so find like-minded people find the people who are challenging the things that are taught out there but not replacing it with a certain other way oh no that's garbage you've got to do it this way hopefully in my language you've heard me today in this podcast say that you know it's there is no one right way like we know from science because science is very good at telling us what doesn't work. It's very hard to actually prove something works, um, through science. And so, and when I say prove, I mean, cause, there's lots of ways that we can find correlation. Uh, but correlation doesn't equal causation. That's the foundations for thinking type stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to recognize, um, that we have biases and assumptions and evaluate them so that we can move forward together on this journey together. That's another fantastic way of doing it. Or simply check the meaning of the things that you're saying to people. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you, Yusra, you, um, have APT and it means that you have a weak core. I told you that last session, can you tell me what do you think about that? How does that make you feel? What does that make you want to do? And you'd be surprised with the answers that come out there and you may be shocked that people might feel a certain way that you actually don't intend. And whilst you're trying to give them information to motivate them or to tell them why they got something wrong, maybe they come back and say, yeah, you know, I knew that I, I knew that I was weak and I've been like this my whole life, you know, and that's the reason why I've got injuries all the time. Like all of that is probably not true. Um, and having somebody who's broken or feeling broken in front of you, yet they walked in the door, um, and they were able to do all sorts of things before they got to your appointment. And even if they didn't walk in the door, right, even if you're helping some, I've helped, um, you know, high-level wheelchair tennis athletes, for example, I don't ever treat them as broken. They're not broken people because they had an injury, a spinal cord injury. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you treat somebody in a wheelchair like they're broken or you treat somebody with a disability like they're broken, they're going to be upset with you eventually, right? Absolutely. Like, recognize the limitations that they have but also, hey, let's maximize what you can do because, you know, this is not the end. Um, And so part of my work was with spinal cord injured people. Um, You know, it's really important to recognize that meeting people where they're at and empowering them no matter what is our first duty. Um, Not to break them down further. Unintentionally with well-meaning words and there's that proverb which says, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, the path to hell, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, we, we usually are trying to help people and I want people to know that I start with a basic assumption that you have helped hundreds and thousands of people already and that you are trying to do the very best you can, which is why you take all these education courses and I just want, I want people, if there is to be a way yeah. I want that way to be, I'm comfortable with uncertainty. I. There is no one proven way to work in health and fitness uh, because we can all find examples of things that break that rule. Those rules.
0: And and I think the challenging part, at least as I go, I carry on on this journey, is, is being okay to not have the answers. You know, to say, you know what, I don't know, but we can try... Th- this and that. So as Teresa said, embracing that as un- uncertainty and in- in- intellectual honesty, right? What would Teresa say? <laughs> so once, yeah, once we uh, embrace that and recognize, you know, we may not have all the answers, it's okay. And we can help the people in front of us without having all those answers. Um, Anthony, thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, it's been amazing having you on here. Before I let you go, can we talk about your uh, projects, what you're working on right now, what you know, what courses you're doing, and all the amazing stuff?
1: Okay. Yes, I love a, lot.
0: a lot happening.
1: So, first of all, if you're interested in this sort of thing, I have produced a very simple course called the foundations, uh, the Peak Simplicity um, Foundations course, which will uh, take people through some of the foundational thinking, knowledge, assessment, and management ideas um, and trying to make that as science-based as possible. And I hope to grow on that. So, that's number one. Number two is um, I have all sorts of things. If you're interested in learning about how to help uh, female athletes return uh, to female clients, return to moderate to high intensity, whether you're a fitness provider, fitness professional or a health professional, healthcare provider, um, I have um, the female athlete membership, which will go through real case studies um, that were recorded live and in person. And then we've got um, the female athlete course, level one, level two. We also have, um, I've got a diastasis project, the diastasis project that's going to be coming out really soon. Uh, And that's going to be quality information, video consults, like lots of video consults at an affordable price. So I'll be looking for, for help on that project as well. And then I've got um, uh, that's the diast- And then I've got a course if you're a professional wanting to learn more about uh, diastasis. I've got a reframing diastasis course that's coming up, and you'll um, you'll find that at rehab uh, a rehab They're hosting me on that. I've also got um, the Peak Simplicity Masterclass, which is the jewel in the crown of my education thing uh, and it's a three-month intensive program um, which takes you through the journey that i went through and tries to condense three years into three months and that will be beginning at the start of february so you'll start seeing information about it in january uh, so that's the Peak Simplicity Masterclass. I've got the Women's Health Podcast, um, and I've got a few other secret projects in the works as well. Wait. Wait. So um, yeah, even my teaching assistants know about all of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, there's a few things going on and um, I'm really excited for the future.
0: And and, and also Anthony, I, I also think it's not just that those who are working with with athletes or, or you know, the, people who are wanting to to go into intensity or moderate intensity. As long as you're working with women in general, any of these courses are going to be amazing because a lot of my clients aren't athletes. They're not doing anything intense, but I've learned so much and helped them in so many ways. So absolutely.
1: Yeah. And when I say moderate to high intensity, I really do mean moderate to high intensity for them. And the world health organization definition of moderate intensity starts at a three out of 10 intensity. So more than just a simple walk, um, you know, it's that I tend to say moderate is around that five to seven and then the um, eight to 10. And that's a relative intensity. For some of the people that I work with getting up out of a chair without using their hands is an eight out of 10 intensity like it's hard work for them they can only do it a few times like two or three times and then that's it they can't do any more. that's a high intensity level of effort for them and that's what i mean by that so thank you for picking up on my uh lack of clarity in my language
0: thank you so much Auntie. thank you for being here thank you for being my first guest i like i said i could talk to you all day about this stuff you know this already um, I am looking forward to having you back well, once your schedule eases up a little bit. I know you have the a female athlete too that's starting next weekend. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've got lots of things on the rest of the year. is super crazy busy, um, but I'm always happy to carve out time to to come and uh, spend time with you, Yusra. And I really do want your podcast to take off. And um, yeah, Well, I'd love to always catch up. I'm, if anyone wants to contact me on uh, Facebook Messenger, it's m.me forward slash Anthony Lowe or uh, on Instagram at physiodetective. They're the best ways to get a hold of me and um, I'm always happy to have a chat with people. Love having I, a chat. I'll
0: with- also include all your contact details on the show notes as well. All right, Anthony, thank you very much for your time and we'll speak soon.
1: Thanks, Yusra. Good luck, everybody. Thank you.